Let's do this. I'm so glad that Flowing. even in a global pandemic and amongst devastating wildfires and a looming eviction <laughs> right. crisis, that the spirit of the playa is still living on hard um, <laughs> despite that. <laughs> um, Burning Man still happened this week. Well, sort of. Sort of. Not really. Not there officially. Was a, there was a, there's a, what's, what was it called when? There was a schism, a I guess. Schism. There was a local <laughs> schism in San Francisco, which is like fit, fitting, I guess, considering <laughs> that just my entire timeline today has just been orange mm-hmm. skies. It was brave of them to release the new Dune trailer and say it's set in San Francisco <laughs> instead of Arrakis. But okay. yeah, I say, yeah, the music, the music in that trailer just ruined it for me. Oh, Not I haven't good. seen it yet. Damn I haven't it. watched it yet. Well, a thousand people were at the beach burning things, celebrating Burning Man. Und- under the, uh, you know what they say? Underneath the paving stone, the beach. <laughs> underneath the beach, more coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Dev Panel. If you'd like to support the show, become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. We do two episodes a week. This is the free one. So if you want access to the premium episode. Oh, that's Patreon. sweet premium content. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, patrons get a discount on merch. So we have a lot to get into today, but maybe before that, let's let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Congress is back in session. They were back in session as of Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they left what second week of August, and they're they're back with a very slim bill out of the uh, Senate Republicans. <laughs> I, yeah, my my notes my notes for this episode include <laughs> they're just a s- s- scattering of completely nonsensical words. But the one thing that does make sense is just skinny as adjective is something <laughs> I wrote down because this this whole thing they're like this is this is not the first time that uh, a Republican backed bill has has just been referred to as the skinny relief bill and then it just gets like rehearsed stenographically by reporters it's like when did when was the first time they started calling something a skinny right. bill it's just like really really bizarre it's just yeah i i too read skinny bill and immediately thought of the uh 2018 like attempt to to repeal the ACA which just yeah. like who like did did the I, I I don't know that was such an embarrassing fucking time for them like for them and and the skinny bill was sort of like the most just like pathetic embarrassing gesture of a sort of impotent process so like why would you want to resurrect or remind anybody of that the starvation like, the starvation bill <laughs> yeah. it's it's brilliant though i mean you just uh you you figure out how okay so instead of because you, you have to find a way to rebrand the idea of doing nothing right so yeah. actually i liked this li- little list that you spun up uh on on twitter phil i don't have it like right in front of me but like you're imagining like sort of to that question i think like when was the first time that this sort of like 
became Branding. the rebrand strategy of like, oh, it's just the the skinny bill. Like, was there a minor works progress administration? <laughs> like, More production you know, board junior? Right. Yeah, exactly. Civil Rights Act, like, but for three years or something, which I guess was what <laughs> yeah. Reconstruction was. The demo was, version of the Civil Rights Act. It'll but, expire in 30 days unless you buy the premium package. Yeah. It's a trial. Yeah, yeah. it's the free trial. Well, yeah, so exactly. that it's uh, voted as uh, tax tax neutral by the... Uh, Revenue neutral by the Revenue neutral CBO, by the CBO, yeah. CBO, yeah. No, this is... No, but it's like they have come up with... I mean, we could get into the question of like these insane deficit hawks like in the Senate, but like they have come up with a brand new way, as already said, of... Um, doing justifying doing nothing mm-hmm. but it seems like the now the thing that they're saying is oh that actually things are improving mm-hmm. yeah. and thus again we don't have to do uh anything which is based on what the the jobs report that suggested right. that unemployment was not over 10 percent but eight percent right oh yeah i mean supposedly right now we've got a fantastic jobs report that just shows that everything is totally fine and if we just <laughs> proceed as if things are normal, we will robustly move forward and continue to, you know, maintain the current level of employment, which is not as bad as the Great Recession, asterisk, of course, <laughs> ignoring like uh, all the numbers about all the small businesses that are closing, uh, the fact that many of the jobs are not coming back. So this jobs report that came out on Friday, uh, maybe we should touch on that for a second. Maybe we should touch on the fact that like all of the Democrats in Congress also read that and we're like, oh, no, they're right. But like, let's let's also talk about. OK, so there there was this jobs report and it showed an increase in employment. Uh, it was down. Uh, unemployment was down one point eight percent since July, putting it at eight point four percent, which is still historically high. We're doing what, so what is good. The compos- it's like I when mean, we hit the plateau of only a thousand deaths a day in America. Yeah, right. it actually has a lot of. There's a lot of similarity between the way that what we used to describe in what we might have otherwise described in absolute terms is now only being described in terms of relative change. Why (laughs) might we be doing that? Um, But the other thing is like, okay, leave that whole issue aside. Most of the reason why there's been this uh, decrease in unemployment is temporary hiring (laughs) by the United States Census Bureau, which is finalizing, well, on a terribly like rush deadline, non-response follow-up. So once that disappears, most of this 1.4% decrease, you know, is sort of diminishes. I mean, it's a mirage. Well, because I mean, it's actually that's kind of uh, perfect. I mean, it seems like with the census hiring, that's probably extremely an unintended consequence. But on the other hand, you have... Uh, for example, I mean, we saw this with like the, the cares act in the first place, right? Because there was the $600 unemployment boost we had like for the first time, uh, in like a long time, actually like low income families were like Mm -hmm. increasing their spending relative to like past months, basically as the pandemic started. I mean, and I mean on the aggregate, like Mm -hmm. on the average or whatever, not obviously not everyone, but, um, that was largely due to like an influx of the unemployment like the extra unemployment cash and now with that gone that's like out obviously (laughs) but also but i mean the i know that like there's a there's a whole through line of us kind of calling things like neo-victorian or something but this is so staggering (laughs) like because when you actually look at the employment numbers and there's a study from um 
what is it? I think it's like out of Harvard. Uh, they're this is so dystopian. What it's called? Like the opportunity, the opportunity insights economic tracker. Um, yeah. that shows oh my that, God. but basically it's like, um, uh, for low income people, uh, employment is like down 16% from January. Wow overall. So that's like a huge, like we were just talking about how unemployment at 8.4% is still like historically high, but <laughs> like <laughs> from compared with January mm-hmm. unemployment for low income people being like at negative 16% versus like in the aggregate, it's something like, uh, like of all across all income brackets, it's something like, um, negative 5% or something like that. <laughs> like it's down, but it's not down as extreme. Um, and among high income earners it's like pretty much down to uh, well uh, it wasn't even five percent it's like among the the like middle to higher income earners it's literally um employment is down like one percent wow so (laughs) and those are the people not leaving their houses who are getting like probably deliveries from gig workers right well or (laughs) as we'll talk about later or who are being uh brought into like a kafka set of like google engineered uh programs to like you know do their do their uh what does it look like do their covid test to assure that they can like come in to do office work or whatever right right and and i mean the the whole thing too is you know if we're thinking about what is generative of i mean because on quite unfortunately the this like little blip in the unemployment figure is of course it's now being cited as the reason why republicans are like claiming that they don't want to do anything um, but it is, it's being reported as if that's in fact a justification rather right. than like, that is the new thing that they're instrumentalizing to <laughs> justify their actions. So like, yeah. I, I cannot take economic <laughs> reporting seriously when it treats that, uh, which is like, <laughs> yeah, let's again, use just one number as a way of representing the entire economy. Um, and, and in, re- in reality, the shadow number that really matters is line. Um, and it's not this at all. This is not line, uh, at all. Um, but the, I mean, I think the more dystopian aspect of this to me beyond just the fact that like the trope of only using one number to somehow describe or evade responsibility over economic management, like the, the more dystopian thing is that like this whole thing is cyclical (laughs) when like we all know what the epidemiological models suggest about the resurgence of the virus. Right. We don't know that's going to happen. It's like, uh, so there's no need to do anything now. We wouldn't want to, by any means, plan no. for what we know is not just an eventuality, but like a certainty in yeah. the next four months. Yeah. No reason we would want to plan ahead for that. No. Maybe buy, maybe buy ourselves some time or... No, you know, no, absolutely not. <laughs> snatch, what is it? Snatch some of those deaths from the future... Just no, it's, it's pretty funny to you because if you think about it, like a lot of the normal indicators that people use to sort of judge like uh, the economy, right, which are outside of these jobs numbers and sort of stock market numbers are, are usually like retail closures and whether or not the businesses that they pass every day are open or closed. Right. And mm-hmm. also that that sort of social reproduction, that process is not happening for so many people if if all of the restaurants in your neighborhood are closed but you're fortunate enough to be able to mostly be working from home you're not going to see that the same way you were when you were commuting to work every day Mm -hmm. so it's like I think for a lot of uh maybe especially like people um maybe who like could be working in 
I don't know, working for Congress people, they might not necessarily be feeling the pressure or noticing the pressure the way they used to. Like, I don't think a lot of people in D.C. are really feeling this the same way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that, that concerns me because I think it, it's almost like they would have picked whatever would have worked as a reason to slow down because now it's completely transitioned into a like, well, we just have to like see what happens until November. No one's going to be doing consensus now. And mm-hmm. I'm incredibly worried about like what that sort of sets us up for the fall. But it's also incredibly stupid on their part, in my opinion, <laughs> because you would think you would want to head off some sort of, you know, impending disaster well i mean it depends on what if basically the entire income bracket that you are uh you know existing within (laughs) placating to and calling for uh you know election funding support with a ton of your time is like mostly the group of people who are fundamentally insulated from this i mean the yeah it's like you know i mean even down to who's setting priorities in each individual office right i mean i was also just going to say like far be it from like any congressperson to like create any goodwill right like right before the election i mean just just that fact in and of itself is like insane to me goodwill for who (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean but the other thing that i think is we we were sort of talking about this closed epistemic world right? right of uh which is probably a pretty grandiose way to just say like beltway groupthink. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think the, the other thing in reading the coverage of this is that like when it is said, for example, the state local like issue of like relief is really just an issue of like bailing out a few big cities. The, the reporters who are like covering this most directly, including for like the largest outlets in the country, They have no capacity or facility to ask, like, well, isn't that untrue? Isn't there, aren't there, in fact, a lot of exurban or suburban municipalities Mm -hmm. in deep red your state going to face (laughs) the same thing? And like, and they're not covering that. They're not talking. There's like, there's no like in this sort of like uh, theater of like in this sort of like fiscal theater. These are these are not even Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. They're they're not even in the play. And then like <laughs> you know the, I mean I think the other kind of aspect of that is that these like like twenty members of the Senate are allowed to say with a straight face that such a thing as the deficit matters now. Right. And like the mm-hmm. New York Times continues to run a one top of fold stories about the national debt. As if that matters, mm-hmm. as if that deserves to be like at that level of priority. And and I think that like when you look at uh, public concern, there's there's this research by um, these political scientists, I think Lucy Barnes um, and some of her co-authors uh, in the UK. That's just like the like, where does this whole concern come from? It only exists because uh, these these outlets choose to cover it with that level of priority as if it's <laughs> right. as important yeah. as unemployment. Right. right. And, and yeah. it's, you know, and by the time the real uh, shit hits the fan fiscally, by the time that you're in Cleveland and they don't have a fucking snowplow in the winter, <laughs> like 
no one will be around to cover that. No, of course mm-hmm. not. At all. I mean, it's the same problem. It's like the numbers that we're using to to judge whether or not a crisis mentality is warranted, right, are, are only looking at one particular section of like the economy, right? It doesn't, you know, to be to be like pinning stuff on the unemployment rate and the um, stock market as some sort of like, I don't know, like reason for us to like, I think literally the quote from McConnell was like, the crisis mentality is just not there. Like as if it's like erectile dysfunction and not his fault. And what is he going to do? Like, you know, between the reporting (laughs) and the prioritization and then the bias of like where the information is coming from, what we're looking at when we try and judge the economy, it's, you know, it's no surprise that we've gotten uh, what some economists are calling a K-shaped recovery where you have sort of people uh, who are on the upper income of things like we already have pretty extreme wealth inequality in the United States. I think we are the most unequal uh, income wise of all the G7. Yeah. (laughs) All the G7 (laughs) countries, which is an accomplishment. No, but that's the, but that's the thing. I mean, it does make sense to call it like a, I mean, whatever the, whatever shape of the recovery thing has always been like a stupid, uh, like, like silly argument, um, Mm -hmm. to, to me, but I do think that considering that, um, everyone from, you know, McKinsey to Trump himself and a bunch of other people kind of have hailed the, uh, that like we've achieved the V shaped recovery, meaning like as in there, there has been a quick drop, uh, you know, after, (laughs) after March and then it shoots right back up again. So they have the opportunity to say something like we have, uh, you know, unprecedented economic growth or something, which is, you know, we're still obviously not back to the point where even by the own, own, your own metrics that you're measuring things we were before, but sure, compared to the extremely bad situation that those metrics were in a couple of months ago. Yes, sure. Things have bounced back, but, um, very technically the the K, I mean, I think the K shaped recovery is a very weird thing because you have to explain that you have to basically say, okay, so now imagine if the V shaped recovery, which is very simple because you just have to explain the right side of a V, right? You explain (laughs) what the chart actually looks like. The K shaped recovery is like, okay, so the, you have to imagine there are two lines and then the one line, which is the top part of the K, the K is on, is like lying on its back and the, the top part of the K is position. for the rich, is for the, 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 the most wealthy in American society and the bottom part of the K is for the, the lowest uh, part. So like it does really follow a K. It does, I guess, draw out a K because things were very bad for poor people before they remain bad. Uh, although they have probably gotten precipitously worse. And then, yeah, wait, uh, is that, this is, it's just a terrible you metaphor. You have just a drop in like the stock market in the middle the of the K-hole yeah. shaped recovery. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The K-hole recovery. So, I mean, and meanwhile, you have like Trump's top economic advisor, most recently known for talking about coronavirus in the past tense at the RNC, um, Larry Kudlow, who was saying, uh, and I quote, right now, the economy is on a self-sustaining recovery path, in my judgment, and will continue along those lines and will continue to surprise on the upside as if we are just on some sort of mystical celestial train moving forward towards prosperity. No, you know, please see the fine print for details. Yeah. When all your, when all your fucking vast wealth is in the stock market, like 
that's that's exactly what's happening. Like he's describing Folks. his own situation perfectly. Folks, the spice is on a self-sustaining recovery path. Arrakis <laughs> will be prosperous. Arrakis <laughs> will continue. We will increase spice production tenfold. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. very magical thinking. And I mean, it's, I don't know, Phil, in your opinion, does this uh, does this jobs report and current state of the economy justify, quote, a crisis mentality just not being there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing the thing about it is like a crisis is is something that you have to like reproduce and construct and it emerges not to me. It's like if you think about the 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 great depression it occurred before a lot of these indicators that now we use as the prosthetics of the mm-hmm. economy yeah. mm-hmm. existed so the way that the great depression was constituted was for example through the photographs of dorothea lange and through these images and stories and and in fact i mean there's an amazing you know, corpus of letters to Eleanor Roosevelt Mm -hmm. um, and like people describing their situation as, you know, you know, in a way as a force majeure, as an act of God that they had nothing to do with and that they needed from and from which they needed relief and sympathy. Right. And, And and what we have replaced all of that you know, meaning with is a set of indicators, which if you only look beneath the hood of the first fucking line in the report, you will see more and more misery, the deeper down you look. But the thing is we have somehow allowed ourselves to be deluded by these oracular, uh, objects, uh, as if, as if this single number does tell us anything. Uh, but you know, again, this is what you get trained to do, I guess, if you work for, I don't know, marketplace. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good to Drag be her. part of a statistical percentage as opposed to an individual or, you know, part of a collective. Or even a sector of the economy. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, totally. I know I never feel lonely when I get quantified that way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think in some ways it's pretty clear. This is in some ways what I remember we talked about this at some point in, uh, I think in July when the when the unemployment boost um, mm-hmm. was going to expire, and simultaneously, like all of these PPP loans were starting to run dry, we are, I guess, because of all this, we're now in, in a situation where we have like, so the like Congress is back, but their whole thing, their whole agenda seems to just be to like make sure that they can pass a continuing resolution to like fund the government through October, oh, yeah, quote unquote, fund the government, you know, because the because the, the budget is real, um, and then, they don't want to make an issue out of that. That would be. Like, literally, there's a quote from uh, Senator Roy Blunt, who's just, you know, who's like a whatever, what, what, like literally whatever. That's exactly still, what he is. Don't go any further. He is literally whatever. But like um, Blunt. his best. Yeah. But uh, there's a there's a quote from Roy Blunt saying, like, uh, my guess would be if we leave in September with a continuing resolution to fund the government, we will not come back uh, to do anything before the election. Um ah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's so, eager to get home campaigning. Yeah, so basically they have that. So they have a continuing resolution Standing on, on the, the side docket. of the road, rapping to the people. And then instead, <laughs> do you know what was introduced today? Do you guys hear about the uh, name the enemy act? Excuse me. Ooh. No. Okay. Um, <clears throat> instead, are we in there? Are we uh, <laughs> uh, instead, um, 
in uh, in the I believe the house today uh, the yeah in the house today a uh, bill was introduced called the name the enemy act which would officially make it uh, not uh, not legal for uh, the federal government to distribute anything that refers to Xi Jinping as the president of China rather as the uh, general secretary that was literally they're just trying to get his job title right you know this is a respectful move this is this is really about diplomacy normalizing relations just like Uh and you know the american tradition of respect towards other cultures right Um, Lord, I literally thought it was going to be, I genuinely, when you guys, when you, when you brought up the title of that, like an Antifa thing. uh, Yeah. I was like, that's hundred percent not allowed. Like (laughs) no one in the federal government is allowed to refer to either the state of Oregon or the city of Portland as like anything (laughs) other than Antifa town. (laughs) I'm sure that'll be a rider to the bill. I, yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, you know, so. Basically, we're in the middle of COVID. California's on fire, and we could also have a quote-unquote government shutdown at the end of September. <laughs> I welcome it. No one is... Everyone is pledging not to do shit until November, basically. This is great. Anyway. This is I, fantastic. You know I want to pledge not to do shit until November. It sounds, <laughs> I mean, it sounds yeah. amazing. Hey, general strike. There you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, in a lot of ways, like this, this whole jobs report... Uh, being the reason why they're justifying their inaction ties in kind of well with the rest we're going to cover today. I'm not totally sure like how to respond to friend, the numerous amount of friends who are reaching out right now who are like concerned about having to go back into the office because everybody's employer has like a different system and it's kind of overwhelming and it's been really interesting to to see how that's being turned into a product too. you know the people who are dealing with the salesforce stuff or the people whose boss bought oracle or the people whose boss is like fuck it i'm gonna manage it myself over slack who's now like you know they're the slack channel for covid tests has like 247 unread messages at all time um i am the, i am the covid czar this is this is my job title now i'm gonna i'm gonna make my uh my underpaid assistant and my unpaid interns who i'm yes. constantly harassing emotionally and sometimes sexually like force them to do to manage a internal excel spreadsheet of who has tested for what when oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah i've heard <laughs> yeah, we don't a number of right. those especially from employers in new york yeah doing great i was just be, i was just ma- i was just making a totally vague generalization but i'm not <laughs> surprised that you've heard explicitly that yeah i'm just yeah we don't need google to do any fancy test and trace and whatever bullshit because excel has existed since like 1998 yeah you know, and for those who don't have Excel and don't want to pay for that license, there's uh, piracy or there's the abacus. Right? Well, yeah. there's uh, <laughs> literally one person who told me I could share this on the show, but their boss is refusing to do it on Microsoft Office Cloud or on Google Sheets because he's convinced that they'll know that he's using their software to do it himself <laughs> and he'll get pitched harder. Hey, so he's only doing it on like a computer not plugged into the Internet, which is. Wait, you know, way to go, buddy. There, there are Respect. some. There, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes the tinfoil hat 
guys, you know, they speak and they make a good amount of sense for how for <laughs> how little control they're, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, because fun, <laughs> like fundamentally at the end of the day, well, we're, what we're kind of talking about is the, um, uh, how to put it. I mean, considering we've been talking for months about the total lack of a meaningful like public health uh, response ramp up or, or infrastructure of any or like, kind. Yeah. Or the ability of our existing institutions in America to actually meet the very obvious, uh, like demands that they sh- should, yeah, ho- should like hopefully maybe be minimum. able to, yeah, uh, for a thing that just like happens to happen sometimes, I don't know, maybe multiple times throughout the 20th century, just like a big also global could, pandemic, you know, could just like, happen like whenever, like no one has control over it. Yeah, Might as well not be whenever. prepared because this is the one thing we have like even less control over than the weather. But I mean, <laughs> but quite literally, like, you know, when you have no, when you have no reliable public health institutions, really, like there are, you know, there, there, are, we do have public health institutions that do certain things, but the, the things that you would kind of expect a public health institution to be able to do and provide guidance for when we've talked about in previous episodes recently about CDC guidelines, mm-hmm. for instance, and <laughs> how actually surprisingly, if you just even fucking look up basic information about like new studies on coronavirus or whatever, they're like the stuff that the CDC guidelines are talking about is often based on, you know, stuff that you could have found in a, like a Google search, like six months ago or something and it like has not been changed since then but um you know but anyway in an environment like that uh yeah opportunists i guess are just gonna come in and tell you (laughs) how it's how you can make things safe and keep i don't know yeah i mean your office afloat my favorite was that verily which is a product of google's (sighs) alphabet yeah they proudly announced this week that after rolling out their um healthy at work platform mm-hmm. um out to numer- is that an I think acronym was- i hope that's just a really long <laughs> acronym <laughs> <laughs> like helping everyone achieve lengthy uh timely healthy yearly no attacks <laughs> so they they so verily which is a a company of google's alphabet has announced that after partnering with 15 different states to launch their healthy at work platform. They have their first client and guess who it is? It's another Verily product. Oh no, sorry. It's another alphabet product, Waymo. So they have their (laughs) first business and it's another (laughs) alphabet thing, which is all under the same parent company of Google. To be fair, to, to be fair, um, Verily is also running a healthy at school program uh which does have uh you know some other clients like brown university i guess right that's that's healthy at school which is okay and all of these programs are actually based off of another program that they already made with sanofi which was google docs sorry (laughs) (laughs) which is the excel spreadsheet your boss has no um They they worked with Sanofi to develop uh, a platform to track and support people with type two diabetes, and so they've taken that and they've transported it into COVID times, and they've turned yeah. it into a broad platform that coordinates basically just testing, um, and can generate little things like special passes on your phone that you can use to get into your office. And uh, can help you set up a testing appointment, though only one at a time, apparently, which, you know. I mean, like, I I really like in looking at this stuff, it's like the market for all of the stuff that you might refer to as coordination, hmm. it seems to be very robust. However, it's like you can 
do all the coordination you want. Our, I think, number of tests, you know, actually administered in this state and a number of other states is going down. <laughs> um, and we have we're doing less of it, but we're just coordinating a lot. We're doing a lot of coordination, which is a prelude to more deaths. Oh, yeah. yeah. And of course, all of the healthy at work and healthy at school contracts that you have to sign to like load the software on um, include disclaimers that you're going to give away your information to Google, that Google will have access to the information in order to, you know, create data driven solutions and upgrades to the platform. Of course. Yeah, well, I mean, as they always do, that's like their that's their entire deal. But also, if you think about how much already any I mean, at this point, um, you know, consider that like HIPAA, which everyone you know thinks of as like what protects the privacy of your medical data, and what which like um, you know a bunch of like anti or a, a bunch of a uh, you know co- like COVID isn't real conspiracy theorists or whatever like use as a, a venue to say like because of HIPAA like I don't have to wear a mask at Lowe's um, the <laughs> like. But like you know, HIPAA already makes it so that most of the stuff that you do interfacing with the medical system in the first place is ultimately going to be um, like sold, de-identified to mm-hmm. you know a like third-party company who's then going to re-identify it, basically probably by you know cross-referencing it against stuff that they either buy from like Facebook or I don't know buy from like whoever did like the it takes literally it, like, the target less, hack or something less you know what than I mean? five like, minutes to de-identify someone's medical data yeah like this stuff is you know what, what like <laughs> sorry like just but some of, some to- of this privacy some of this like privacy stuff especially with medical data is like it, it, it's frustratingly like overblown um but not not even because Sorry, it's frustratingly, it's not that it's overblown, it's frustratingly addressed in a way as though it's like uniquely terrible because Google is doing it as opposed to being like a good opportunity to tell people that this is basically how things already are for much of the medical system, you know what I mean? Which is not great, but no. And and the thing too, is like, it's like, it's not so much that Google is like necessarily stealing all your health data to sell it. It's that they're using all these college students as free so, like product testers basically well, you know what they're doing they're doing like a um because like verily also uh so quietly that we didn't even catch it mm-hmm. uh this is totally our bread and butter kind of thing but like two weeks ago verily announced um verily again you know an alphabet company part mm-hmm. of alphabet's other bets um <laughs> designation which i didn't even realize which until i said it out loud as a fucking rhyme and i hate it um curing but, death a 200 dollars spoon for people with hand tremors well those are verily as things but other bets is a category under which oh, they fold God, companies really? yeah, yeah, yeah it's oh. a whole thing you know Ugh. it's just from whatever so Sorry. like you know they they made alphabet so that people would say alphabet instead of google because alphabet is like vague and non-threatening and google is <laughs> Google, but so like, you know, Google basically, uh, like verily, um, announced like two weeks ago that they were starting, uh, not totally a health insurance company, but basically like a healthcare reinsurance company, um, that would, that will work with employers who do self, uh, who, who do self-financed, uh, -hmm. uh, health insurance plans, which means essentially that like, you know, the, how to put it. It's like bit with basically big enough employers that they have enough capital that they will like, they'll say like, actually it's cheaper for us 
as opposed to just buying like an, a sort of like more off the shelf plan from blue cross blue shield or whatever. Um, we're going to buy, uh, we're going to like work with blue cross blue shield or something as like the managing Mm -hmm. uh, entity. And we're like, all the financial transactions are going to run through us, but verily has created a health insurance company that will work with, uh, employers to specifically, uh, use Verily's other health products and health technologies and stuff like is being developed with this, uh, like through this sort of like healthy at work, healthy at school mm-hmm. initiative through Verily, um, that they will like use some of this technology to help, uh, what is it? What do they call it? Like deep identification of risk factors or it's, something. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. This it's is a, wait. This is making me think of our patron episode. Yeah. Uh, this totally. week, oh, for sure. Which is that like the, I feel like for a time there was this illusion that private insurance was anything but just a way of like further using like further like monetizing information about life chances. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And eugenics. Yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, Precision more risk. on this in the patron episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen to the patron episode uh, this week, but no, it's, um, it's uh, pr- it's called precision risk, a precision risk approach, um, meaning mm-hmm. essentially that they will work <laughs> diligently with their with their technology platforms. They're doing platforms surgery on a grape. To well, no, it's they they will. I mean, surgery on a grape, but for data to like figure out, uh, like oh well, statistically, you know, basically like now that this now that your employee has like uh had like this set of conditions or something over like the first three years that you've like hired like that you that they've been uh you know on your insurance or whatever like statistically it seems like it's likely that they'll i don't know develop cancer or develop like some secondary comorbidity so you might want to be aware of that expense coming down the line what the aca Um, was supposed to undo with the existing conditions it's so weird wow exactly so weird but it's it's pre pre existing condition, so yeah. totally we fine. Don't, we listen. We look. We're come on now. We're serious policymakers and policy analysts. <laughs> we don't need to think about political economy at all because if you just tell, if you just say that they can't exclude people from coverage because of pre existing conditions, <laughs> that makes it so. And if you say that it's universal health care, that means that the number of uninsured people is never going to go back up. Are you crazy? <laughs> of course. Yeah, exactly. This is also um, a science-based, a, a science-based insurance company, which is a brand new thing for us, which I kind of love that this is their branding. I mean, it's almost like saying like um, eugenics, a new modern, more <laughs> humane Data-driven solution. Yeah. A science-based approach to Italians. <laughs> <laughs> you know Italians? What about, what if we had a science-based approach to them? Yeah. No, I mean, it basically, it sounds exactly like that, frankly. It's like, so here's from their press release announcing the company. Uh, Hell yeah. Which is called Coefficient, by oh, the way. Oh yeah, Co- um, Coefficient mm-hmm. Insurance Company. Yeah, which is like a, will be a, um, it's a spinoff, I guess, uh, or I'm not sure if it's a subsidiary or a spinoff of Verily, but it will like work with 
barely. Um, and this like Swiss, this big, this huge, uh, Swiss reinsurance firm, which is funding it. Um, but, uh, so quote coefficients, precision risk solution is designed to provide self-funded employers with more predictable benefit plan protection. It uses an analytics based underwriting engine to identify unexpected areas of cost volatility and cover yeah. those exposures with more dynamic and precise insurance policy provisions. Wow. That's so weird. Cause they also have this like plot platform to track who has COVID and COVID has long-term symptoms that yeah. could have implications on your ability <laughs> yeah. to work long-term. That's so weird. Wow. Yeah. Or your ability to <laughs> even enter the office place. Like even uh-huh. like the Salesforce right. version of Verily's uh, system literally has like one of the, one of the key selling points or whatever is you get basically like an RFID tag card <laughs> or something. And like if you've recently uh, tested positive for COVID, you like basically go in and you try to swipe and then, oop, nope, sorry, whoops, locked out of the office. Oopsies. Um, can I also is, just, you know, can I, can I also just note the the phrase dynamic is never something that you want to hear about your healthcare. <laughs> like, you do not want anyone to say, oh yeah, this healthcare plan, it's amazing, super dynamic, constantly changing, just like <laughs> so all dynamic. the time. Just well, like, I know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's basically like, uh, how to put it? I mean, this document is straight up verily and coefficient or whatever, um, you know, however you want to Google, uh, outdoing McKinsey mm-hmm. in public mm-hmm. health. It's literally like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, now, even though McKinsey tries to be the McKinsey of public health, it's basically, yeah, Google is doing the McKinsey of public health and they have, they have uh, it available in, you know, tiered plan packages or something as opposed to the expensive version where you have to have all these suits come to your poor McKinsey you know they just they never get to really really own their moments you know never do anything right I understand now I understand that facial expression you see when you look at Pete Buttigieg and he's just making that face and you're like you poor thing (laughs) You've just never had the spotlight long enough. Oh no, they taught they 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 taught me all you had to do was go and and come to the meeting and stand in front of the PowerPoint and make this face and look really serious and people would take you really really <laughs> serious. Um, anyway, we never thought sorry. we actually had to steal people's data. I mean, the funny thing though is that okay, so all of these platforms, be it the Salesforce one, be it. Uh, um, healthy at work slash school by Verily, by Alphabet, by Google, whether it's the Oracle version, <laughs> yeah. whether it's the Microsoft version, whether it's your boss doing it, right? All of these strategies, right, are contingent on testing. Mm-hmm. And the other problem is that that's fine if we had good testing, if we had fast accurate testing that would be great that was accessible and affordable we absolutely do not have that there are tons of reports of people who went to quote-unquote free state-run testing sites from the past two weeks who have gotten bills in the mail yeah um (laughs) also getting a test that doesn't come back for eight days will still like it's nothing that's nothing it's meaningless right and and if you can't actually like administer these tests in a way that is quick enough and you know distribute them p- properly then all of these fucking platforms are junk which is evidenced mm-hmm. by like one of their biggest partnerships in Alabama they partnered with both the state 
to do a massive like statewide uh, public like contact tracing infrastructure and testing scheduling infrastructure. They also partnered with the entire University of Alabama system. And because of testing delays in like Tuscaloosa, there was a huge, huge hotspot as soon as school opened. Right. Hmm. Which this Verily product was supposed to be able to prevent. And you have like school administrators going, well, you know, I have to say, like using this platform has really made me help sort of understand that, like, this is really worth paying for. And maybe I should be buying more services from them in the future. Yeah. You know, all of the you know, all of these sta- all of these like states and universities are giving their data over to the companies who are developing these different platforms that are contingent on testing. Right. Like for the Verily has one lab where it will run select tests itself in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That's one lab. All the other companies are relying on like third party testing. So, you know, you have the situation where like, you know, they're collecting all this data um, from their sort of like public works versions of their products. And then they're going around and turning it into like a better product to sell to industry. And yet at the end of the day, the principle that it's based on is still fucking inadequate well that's mm-hmm. but i mean this is the this is like the essential problem though right which is and that's why i was saying before you know if you had actually um like good public health in- infrastructure or you mm-hmm. actually you know put resources into doing things like a huge national testing program or like i don't know whatever like any kind of you know and and, and not i'm like not and not even not not even something like the fucking the the frankly pretty like kafka-esque sounding like test like tracing uh, contact tracing programs or whatever that uh for instance like bloomberg has funded uh mm-hmm. at like quite quite extensively but instead of just straightforwardly doing the ex- the actually like helpful thing um you end up you end up with like all, all of these like products and services that basically do resolve around even um i mean actually again like we we mentioned the the patron episode uh in we we make we make a big point in that one which is called i think um a death panel history of socialized medicine mm-hmm. which is you know only an overview it's like very a, good episode yeah highly recommend but, um, become a patron but is um but one of the things that we talk about is how frequently like it, it's funny because so many of the uh for instance there's a there's a thing of like sort of anxieties about what the public sector will do in terms of like surveillance or uh you know getting in the in in the case of the the episode that we recorded like getting getting in the way of physician autonomy like the ability of doctors mm-hmm. to like how mm. to exercise their own autonomy um in decision making but in a in a very similar way uh to that basically like it's funny essentially because i think a lot of the a lot of the things that people are sort of actually worried about, let's say the government doing, if it was like the <laughs> right. like conspiracy theorists and like anti-vaxxers and COVID, uh, like COVID isn't real hacks or whatever, who's, who, you know, who would be worried about like what a, what a government program is going to actually, would actually do if it was like a ramped up new national, like federalized, uh, mm-hmm. uh, testing program are actually more very obviously, uh, presented in the, possible adverse effects of that are more are way more obviously apparent in the like open statements by people about these private companies services mm-hmm. which are for example of the uh of this uh like the university in kentucky program they say of the salesforce uh like covid integration 
uh, here's a quote from this like article about it. Tactics be like the the idea is um, this is like paraphrasing someone's someone's statement uh, that tactics being used to survey and monitor staff and students for coronavirus today uh, could be adapted in the future for other uses. Um, could be adapted for other uses tomorrow, such as helping students with anxiety or other health issues. Mm. So it's literally like okay, you you've got this, um, you know, you yeah, you've set up this like platform or whatever and it's very obvious that you can use it for a number of like surveillance mm-hmm. goals or whatever mm-hmm. including stuff like risk assessment or what's it precision risk targeting mm-hmm. um and including stuff like precision it's risk targeting but for students as opposed to just like your workforce so deranged yeah yeah i mean it seems like i don't know if it's even too obvious to say but it would occur to me that a lot of what is going on is sort of i guess we call it it feels like virtual pandemic management, which is that like you you use the pandemic really as a series of branding opportunities for your organization is able to respond nimbly and in an agile way uh, to the pandemic. Right. And I feel like I see this a lot with universities. Universities are like we are a center of like innovation and research. <laughs> Like <laughs> thus we will be managing this. But at the end of the day, there's no, there's no real public health strategy back of anything. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does just sort of, you know, it becomes a way of, you know, demonstrating that you can collect certain kinds of information. It's not that you can control the spread of anything, but that you can see the spread right. uh, or can see a, rep, a, a sort of, a distilled quantified representation of the spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and of course, like, you know, as we're talking about with testing, like the situation in Alabama that I was talking about earlier, right. They were implementing something even co- like more intense than most other States have done, which is something called Sentinel testing mm-hmm. where they were using the Verily like platform in order to like initiate encounters for random testing just random testing and they still had huge outbreaks. And so I think a lot of these platforms, you know, they're, they're hinging on testing, which is like, again, we're underdeveloped in that area. But I think that in a lot of ways, this is sort of a response to a lot of the public realization that like the vaccine situation is maybe not as speedy quick as they might've assumed three or four months ago. Yeah. And, um, what's, what's that old, um, almost like stereotypical, like say like, uh, advertising idiom like we sell you peace of mind yes Yes. yeah that's basically (laughs) that's really it that's like but yeah all that these things sales force and others are doing which you know god you know and and so uh there have been some developments with the vaccine uh on the vaccine narrative this week which i think could be good to check in on next um you know this uh performative pledge happened Oh my God, the pledge! I love it. I, I, feel very I will safe do my duter duty. <laughs> Cut that out. Oh. They, uh, it's okay. Try it again, Phil. It's all good. I was trying to do the scouts pledge. The, no, do your uh, bit. Do your bit. Do your bit. I, I will do. I will. <laughs> I pledge on my honor to do my duty to God and my country <laughs> and to obey the law and to obey the law of the pack, as they say in scouts. Oh what? The law, of the pe- yeah, that's the that's that's the Cub Scout. Uh, the Cub Scout has a whole weird animal thing going on. <laughs> weird. The original animorphs. 
I mean, yeah, it, I, I would say that the um, the pledge that all these various pharma CEOs made is like even less valid than the Cub, the Cub Scouts pledge. Um, but the CEOs <laughs> of nine different pharmaceutical companies who have nine different vaccines in the pipeline have all come together at a table to shake hands <laughs> and agree to do ethical capitalism. Yay. <laughs> They're going to make sure that no one petitions the FDA, not a single company petitions for early use authorization until stage three is completed, which is just so brave of them. I'm very impressed. So strong um, and brave. Doesn't doesn't this remind you just a little bit of that pledge, quote unquote, that a bunch of yeah. like CEOs made like about a year ago to mm-hmm. this was like I think it was like Jamie Diamond who was like I'm leading this thing and Tim Cook was in it too to basically like stop putting shareholder value like above every other corporate metric and to sort yeah. of like uh, what it, it was like normalize the value chain or something fucking yeah. stupid wow. like that. This I sounds, feel so like inspired bring right the now. Ethics back into capitalism because I, what capitalism was, is missing is that so many people are they're simply playing by the rules, but mm-hmm. they forget the little things. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Just, not, they haven't done anything illegal, but they need to stick to better ethics. Right? It's not. It's not illegal, but it is wrong, and it, therefore right. we will do our best not to. It is really one of my favorite things when a bunch of CEOs come together to uh, declare a tontine of moral, <laughs> of like moral turpitude or something. You know, that is really, yeah, it's I, I, fantastic. But, um, and I, I, you know, no shade to anyone who sent this to me saying, oh my God, look, like the, the pharmaceutical companies are standing up to Trump. <laughs> look at them go. <laughs> look at these brave business leaders. Oh my God. Yay. Like so strong, so brave. Titans uh, of industry. <laughs> I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, this is this is way more in response to the fact that, you know, um, the the sort of vaccine horse race has been such a such a horse race and such a media circus that, you know, understandably, there is not um, when the public, quote unquote, is polled. There is not like a super high percentage of people confident and down ready to take one of nine possible vaccines that are in the works. Yeah. Um and not many people believe that, like, if there's a, a according to polling, again, I'm doing this in, in scare quotes, not not many people apparently are responding to polls saying that they're they're feeling confident that whatever drug could be approved by the Trump administration before November would be actually ready and tested. And those people are probably correct, frankly. <laughs> um, you know, as we've talked about on numerous episodes um, that there is a there's a usually about a 10 year turnaround time for the testing and the various trials of a vaccine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything that well, to get to a good vaccine, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, an individual, like, you know, like phase three trials don't last. I don't want to get the impression that like phase three trials last 10 years, but. Yeah. Right. So to get so, to like the a vaccine that is like the good one or something throughout the entire development life cycle, then let's say sure. of a vaccine from like identifying, OK, we need to try and make a vaccine for this towards, you know, actually having something ready to go to market that you're pretty sure or sure is going to give you at least like 70 or 80 percent immunity in the population. 
that typically is like a pretty long process. It can take on average 10 years from like identification to market. And, you know, as we've said many times, if there's a vaccine that's ready um, and it's it's efficacious, it'll probably be just by pure luck. Like we stumbled <laughs> upon what worked. Right. Yep. Yeah. But um, it won't be. I mean, but it won't be won't, like to get through the to like totally complete a phase three clinical clinical trial. We won't know that until like for some time, as we've talked about on a bunch of recent episodes, um, including I think we talked about that in at the end of Luton order last week mm-hmm. um, uh, in our public episode. But like since then, there was the whole thing of like th- this, like really hit like a fever pitch. It got to the point where it was like actually a big con- top line national news um, mm-hmm. of like Trump, you know, uh, the concern over Trump and, uh, the CDC rushing, uh, vaccine, uh, to like, to like out to people to the point that the CDC, I guess, sent out a bunch of memos to States saying like prep for November 1st to start receiving a COVID vaccine. Right. So it'd be like a couple right. days before the election. And, and like, so. and what is that? What is that memo? But a piece of paper, which is in fact state failure, um, and, and I think, and it's so, uh, you know, I guess people plumping for, uh, this nine, you know, nine way sort of agreement, uh, I guess makes sense because it's like in, when there is very clear evidence of state failure, people will look for other sources of, uh, I don't know, um, security or sort of reliance, um, in the world. But the question one has to ask with any bargain of this sort, is what is the mechanism which will credibly commit the parties to following through on a very vague agreement? And I want to just, in in light of that, I would like to read some of the statements that appear at the bottom of this statement. And I don't know know if you guys are familiar with this, but the end of these statements, there are these... um, Little little disclaimers about forward-looking statements. Um, uh, <laughs> forward-looking statements of BioNTech. <laughs> Warning. This press release contains forward-looking statements of BioNTech within the meaning of Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. These forward-looking statements may include, but are not limited to statements concerning BioNTech's efforts to combat COVID-19. Any forward-looking statements in this press release are based on BioNTech's current expectations and beliefs of future events and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual events to differ materially and diversely from those set forth and are implied by forward-looking statements. These risks and uncertainties include, but are not limited to competition to create a vaccine for COVID-19. The ability to produce comparable clinical results in larger and more diverse clinical trials. The ability to effectively scale our production's capabilities all information is press releases as of the date of press release and biotech undertakes no duty to update this information unless required by law <laughs> okay i i want to make something very clear to the listeners I did not speed that up. I did not edit that out. There were no extra. There was uncut. no extra time to pause for film <laughs> between like takes of that. That was beautiful. That was just pure. Um, that was did you guys Phil? But did you notice what was in someone? that statement? It yeah, was hard. I mean, full like it's hard full. not to. Yeah, holy shit. Well, it's yeah. I mean that that is that that is the the full and proper legalese that you need to be able to say remember this is this is all the sanctity of a handshake you yeah know? the glorious and and sanctified handshake which uphold the the handshake deal which is upheld in every court of legal law and precedent right mm-hmm. um you know 
take it about as seriously as that. I mean, I think also this is imp- it's important to note that this is like coming all also in tandem with um, what is being sort of billed in reporting as some sort of like, I don't know, like maybe a gotcha in some instances or a possible like four train Amtrak fire accident sort of like impending disaster with I, I, I don't even know how to describe some of the reporting on this. But basically there was a there was a adverse incident in the AstraZeneca trial. So they um, are on a clinical hold. And uh, the reporting yeah, this on this is what I suspect a lot uh, more people will have already because I, I think the handshake deal was one thing and sort of got talked about in, you know, smaller circles, basically. But the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, which is the same one that we talked about, the, that we've been talking about being the one that's most likely to be attempted to be rushed to market. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that just started, I think, on September 1st, it's it's phase three. Uh, clinical trial and which is like the subject of all this sort of dithering and Fauci saying like, well, if it's if it shows overwhelming uh, Hmm. results, as we talked about literally last week on the the public episode. Yeah, um, that uh, it it would be Dr. Fauci wants you want you bless my vaccine. That it would be that it would be pushed through. Um, But the yeah, I think the like sort of big like vaccine news that I know is like top of mind and that we've gotten like questions about too is like what the fuck does the AstraZeneca like because there was a there was like a New York Times push notification sent out that yeah. was like there was a single adverse uh, res- uh, response in the in the phase three clinical trial and the, the trial suspended. What does it mean? And, <laughs> what does it mean? Immediately in the moment that push notifi- notification went out, like thousands of people became new anti-vaxxers. I'm sure probably as yeah. a result. Did they, <laughs> they were like, did they fucking? You know, maybe I'm not going to do MMR on Jason. Little Jason, <laughs> little look like at little Jason. There was one adverse reaction on the AstraZeneca trial. I'm not going to let little little Larry, you know, get vaccinated. Maybe now. a COVID vaccine isn't a good idea. B, are all of your are all of your imaginary children 45 year old men? Because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> they all must start as babies. That's how biology works. You have to name the baby. You know. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> that just made me an anti-vaxxer. Sorry. Anyway, but, <laughs> but like, uh, did did the New York Times think? No, I mean they didn't. Obviously, they didn't. But like, could they not have thought to consult anyone no. with any amount of uh, expertise on on something like this to to before like breathlessly? Because I I got this push notification. Was it this morning or was it yesterday? I, Time, time is a flat circle, so I actually don't remember when I got this push notification, but I just remember thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you've got, uh, you've got that, that sweet uh, news, that sweet capital N news that you just, mm-hmm. like, got. Uh, you, you've, you've got it. You know that you've, uh, you've got to get it out as soon as possible because you know everyone in the, like, everyone in the fucking world is going to click on that if you send that out. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, just and like you gotta beat CNN. push it out. Make sure that make sure that it's packaged in such a way that it seems as meaningful as possible. Mm-hmm. And then just fucking do your rail of page views, right? Like, Which just, just you do know, a fat rail of page views. You can justify it a little. Look, you know, little Larry's looking at you, baby Larry's like, Daddy, how could you send out that push notification? And Daddy, New York Times is like, Larry, listen, I gotta make the page views to keep the lights on, Larry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I gotta. Daddy's gotta do what Daddy, New York Times has gotta do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I, I mean it, it's, uh, it's. So let's explain why. 
Yeah. So yeah, this, this is kind of let's explain why the New York Times is a deadbeat dad. So uh, yeah, it's important to note um, a clinical hold is a pretty normal thing to happen in the course of a vaccine trial. Yeah. And um, frankly, the fact that it has happened is kind of the best news about all of the vaccine development that I've heard because it gives it's the only indication that they are possibly possibly <laughs> attempting to, to collect with, yeah. usable data in order for us to have an evidence-based vaccine candidate hmm. right mm-hmm. so in that sense it's actually really good news because I didn't necessarily have faith in AstraZeneca and the round table that they were going to like actually do this when it happened because this does happen because the amount of data that you're collecting on people who get the vaccine or who get the placebo you're looking for this and there are a certain amount of people who are expected to have like some type of illness presentation or pathology present as a result of just like randomized chance right you're doing Mm -hmm. You actually want that because in theory, if you if you give the vaccine to 30,000 people and like no one happens to have another medical condition in the course of study, that would actually be quite weird. Right. Mm-hmm. right. That people, to me would be, be like sick. I would I would see the data and I'd be like, OK, like this just seems impossible. Right. Yeah. It just mm-hmm. wouldn't make sense. And so actually, like these clinical holds are not. um are not uncommon, you know, so it's, it's like, what? Well, yeah, you could like definitely like get some page views or, or like make a big story and, and create a news cycle out of like, oh my God, the AstraZeneca trials on hold. You know, again, this is, I think a lot about the need to push the inevitability narrative in order to like get people to go back to work because testing's not where it's at. Um, mm-hmm. the Salesforce app won't save you, nor will Verily or whatever Google's insurance co- coefficient insurance. None of this is going to work. Right. So mm-hmm. any, any threat to the sanctity of the, the idea of a vaccine. Well, the sanctity of, yeah, the suspended, uh, like the suspension of disbelief of there will be a vaccine by like next year or something. Right. And, that yeah. is an ideological threat. And that is like a foundation shaking thing for people but the problem is the way it's being reported is just not well because the funny thing is it's like if you i mean you said the thing that was like you know it would be a little weird if no one had like uh if like no one had like any kind of reaction it's not it's not necessarily the case that like this has produced a reaction it's like still not known whether it um you know, it's it's not uh, it's not necessarily the case that like the reason that it was paused was actually like a reaction to the thing, or was like you have to you literally have to figure out whether it's like oh they, they were also like coming down with something, or mm-hmm. they had in the case of this um, what is like transverse myelitis mm-hmm. um, that like it was just became diagnosed like after you know whatever, um, but like the I mean the fundamental thing here, and this is one of the reasons why to sort of I mean to sort of even like further explain why the why it is such a concern that you would rush because we we talked last week about how uh, if you rush a vaccine out of a phase three trial or whatever you just if you just push it you basically deny yourself the ability to get that large population sample and the understanding of what actually happens in a random randomized control mm-hmm. trial like what actually happens uh whether it is actually efficacious how broadly, much it is how much is it right how yeah. much how how efficacious it is if it is efficacious at all like what effects there could be what like are the range of effects because um 
the the big thing and one of the big reasons that you need to know this and i don't think we said this last week is that the, the one of the reasons you need to do the trials to know this and finish the trial to know this is because the principle that vaccines work on right mm-hmm. you introduce something into the body that like then produces an immune response mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. problem is we know uh like it produces an immune response and produces like the ability to then like ideally to like replicate uh like T cells ultimately that can store that immune response for some period of time, uh, essentially, and like allow you to like re-trigger it. Um, the, the problem can be if you don't test it thoroughly enough, you could accidentally be doing something that is like, so we, we know, as we've talked about before, and if you listen to like our, our, um, episode COVID explained from a couple of weeks ago, principally one of the things that is like the most deleterious the most disastrous in the body about COVID-19 is like the uh, like wild immune responses that right. people can exactly. have to this Already, that's so such a good point. There, and we also know that there's a huge range of immune responses that different people have had uh, to it right mm-hmm. different there are different mm-hmm. immune like different immunotypes right. that's entirely to lost here right and so and it would be it would be lost if you if you finish the trial but also like the that that thing is ultimately like you could and you could like end up with a situation basically and this is why you finished the tri- i'm not saying that like you know this is a this is the most important thing to take from this is this is not a reason to like fear vaccines at all but it is a reason to finish the phase three trial of a vaccine right, right. to finish the trial process of a vaccine is that because Absolutely. of the principle on which it works you are triggering the immune response You're now if one the of the things system. that yeah. fu- fucking kills you in covid right mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. the immune response itself you need to make sure that you're doing the appropriate, like you're you're like administering the appropriate type of like vaccination, right? right? So that you trigger an immune response that can create T cells and like make it so that it can respond if the actual like thing goes into the body, right? right. If the actual virus becomes present, that it can like activate antibodies at the right time, right? right? That's what you're trying to do. If you <laughs> fuck that up, like you could just like you right. can you can create like shitty. Uh, and that's kind of unique to COVID, which is, I think, important to, um, to say, like for anyone that throws that at you as an anti-vax point in general, right? right? Like, oh, well, I heard the COVID vaccine can trigger, you know, a COVID immune response that can kill you. And you're like, well, that's because of COVID. Well, right. also, I'm not even saying that it not can because do that. Of vaccines. I'm saying, right. th- like, theoretically, if it you could, could, right, uh, it would be yeah. because of the virus itself, because of the unique capabilities of how this works in your body right so like that is why more than anything else like we really really need to do the work studying these vaccines yeah Mm -hmm. and and i think in a lot of ways that's why hearing okay they're on a clinical hold i actually slept much better after i got that push notification because (laughs) i was like you know what i don't trust i don't trust astrazeneca further than i can throw them but they are still like within reach at this point in a way that I didn't think they were, you know, I can still grab them and throw them here. Psychologically Mm -hmm. speaking. Um, if I could physically grab them, you know, I would seize that and break it up. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I mean like the, the world of this would seem to be putting us in beyond the actual sort of clinical outcomes piece of this, the, the trust piece of it, Mm -hmm. you know, having a premature, uh, vaccine is, you know, it's something we've talked about a lot, but it's, it is leading, you know, as the state fails more and more, the market 
for really weird behavioral control sort of ideas is going to open up really wide. Yeah. And I think like we, we talked about this with like immunity passport ideas, like other wonderful things that are like gracing the pages of the new England journal of medicine. But, <laughs> um, but I love this Robert Lytton from, uh, Brookings who is now suggesting that, uh, yes, that we ensure people get the vaccine by paying them, a thousand dollars to do so. Oh my now, god! <laughs> Great idea. Like, I'm all for just paying people thousand dollars for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think we should just all be paid a thousand dollars a month, um, probably. Or um, more. Yeah. More. Yeah. Or more. Bunch. Um, yeah. But the but Robert Lytton, I I was interested to read this for a variety of reasons, uh, namely because Robert Lytton was the guy who. Several years ago, you may recall his name uh, because he is a non-resident senior fellow at Brookings and a few years ago got into trouble because along with one of his colleagues there was it was exposed that they were paid um, to write a report attacking this rule uh, that the Labor Department issued that said that stockbrokers uh, couldn't take payoffs uh, from financial companies for giving their clients bad advice. Um, so he was apparently at Brookings, wrote this report, um, but was paid by a mutual fund manager called The Capital Group. I kid you not. Hell yeah. Oh. Uh, this is like generic, generic name. The Sounds Capital like it was group. like invented by DC Comics. So he was like, yeah. he was paid to do this. And then like, and Brookings response was like, you know, okay, Lytton has resigned. Now, apparently, he's back. He's back. Uh, <laughs> so it's the sequel. But now I wonder who he's working for at this point. Um, so essentially, he's back in his old post. I'm not sure for what, what <laughs> level of compensation or by whom. I mean, frankly, what, what I think is, you know, where does it end, right? I mean, you pay you pay people $1,000 to get a vaccine, and then and then they just expect $1,000. And then, and then what is Brookings do? You give Brookings a mouse do? a cookie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean... Do you think he got paid $1,000 for this opinion? <laughs> I mean, I think to Phil's point earlier, though, ultimately, like, that is, like, that is, like, kind of the funny thing. Go, I mean, just going back to the beginning of our episode, even, you know, sounds like, basically, if you... To the extent that you should expect any sort of uh, stimulus or any sort of uh, further government, uh, like positive government intervention on like, I don't know, poor people's economic condition. Uh, right now you should expect maybe for this to happen. Like I wouldn't be fucking surprised if they, obviously this is not going to happen. Like obviously this is probably not going to happen this way unless public sentiment is so low after uh, towards vaccines or whatever in not just in general, but towards COVID vaccines, like cause it's, all, it's already what, like 56% or something say like, yeah, I'd get a COVID vaccine, which is really fu- like, you know, and again, whatever to polling, but like, which is very funny. So like, if you, I guess maybe the next stimulus could come with, you can get it if you get a COVID vaccine, <laughs> which would be funny because or like it's a thousand dollars, but 1200 if you get a vaccine yeah you have to but you have to like you have to go uh on the irs website on a tuesday you have to fill out your name in all caps uh (laughs) in order to do so you have to give your full vaccination record in all caps in the right order and it has to be accurate cross-reference yeah Mm -hmm. uh no i don't know original birth certificate (laughs) yeah (laughs) but well yeah i mean it's um 
it's startlingly um, inadequate, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for the uh, the cavalcade of bad ideas that are coming our way yeah. as yeah. the state continues to fail. It it's never, going to be... never stops. Well, I mean, you know, it's... The thing about the bad ideas is, I guess if you don't catch them on audio tape, uh, they never happen. So oh, <laughs> now that they're on... But when they get on audio tape... That's when they matter, and, and then you release them caring. seven months later. Oh my god! <laughs> so like Bob, Wood, I'm just imagining what what Watergate would have been if like Bob Wood gets the like, information. Like, yeah. okay, we're we're gonna sit on this for seven months. Can you can you imagine <laughs> if if like all all Bob Woodward had to really do during Watergate was just sit in his kitchen and have people like show up and just like say fucking deep, anything deep, deep yeah. throat like knocks on the door and has like a box of donuts for him yeah. <laughs> i mean he's I like can i get some press i'd like some press thanks it's this whole this whole uh woodward discourse has been really funny to me all day because obviously it's very like obviously like fuck bob woodward whatever like it's so like it it obviously it sucks Mr. Access he, journalism. Yeah, yeah. Obviously like there's, you know, if you yeah. like go back and like read reviews, even of like, yeah, his, his like first book about Trump, for example. And it's like clear, or I guess read the, the his first book about Trump or whatever, but you can read <laughs> reviews and see that like, there are very, like there are so many just like, um, access journalism things that he does that just are so seem completely not at all an appropriate way to like treat, uh, the present, political moment and Mm-mm. and sort of like sort of, I mean like whatever it's not not just his last book like he has a long history of of um doing this but like so uh, but my point is like it's the Woodward thing has been funny because on the one hand it's like yeah obviously it's extremely um like bad and dumb that you would have this tape and you just save it for your book and you save it for right before the election but also I do think it's a little bit overblown for people to be saying that that would have changed much mm-hmm. because like you can have the tape or whatever and then clearly there's like there's quite a lot that trump can be like out saying and on tape saying and at <laughs> rallies saying that we'll just like you know he's got like cr- everybody like, calling it the china virus whenever they do a like a, a official appearance yeah you know so i mean I, I think it is you know i think it is obviously just like really telling about how the um like a a certain sort of like class of the journalistic profession is like very like mired in the same sort of I mean when you let a 77 year old set the standards for the gotchas yeah we're definitely gonna get a lot of yeah it's like the very very long Watergate hangover (laughs) (laughs) ah the one thing the one thing that will finally you know do it but it doesn't It does remind me of, um, I'm not going to remember this verbatim. Um, and I also might be, I can't remember completely. So, uh, I might be slightly misrepresenting this, so I'm not going to say this person's name. Uh, and if I am misrepresenting this, like whatever, I'm not, I'm not sorry, but I'm whatever. Um, (laughs) but I remember being at like an, I remember (laughs) being at an art conference, uh, one time, like a, like a, like it was literally like a closed panel. Like when you do like a private panel, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, something. Um, and someone, uh, someone saying at this panel, uh, that, uh, they had a batch of unreleased Abu Ghraib photos, um, that were like horrible stuff that like never got out. Uh, and I remember being like, uh, what the fuck? Like what, (laughs) but you have them, right? And it's like, yeah. And they're like, why haven't you 
released them or leaked them <laughs> or something. And his answer was, well, I'm a journalist. Like I couldn't, you know, well, see, sir, I, I put all this gold and gemstones on my tortoise because I wanted him to shine. And it's not my fault that well, the tortoise died because of all the gold and gemstones I put on its shell. No, no. I mean, this is, this isn't like a, this isn't like a rich guy. This is no, just no. like some sort of, it's the kind of thing where like the, 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 the pageantry of ethics, mm-hmm. the, the handshake deal thing can become, and you know, it, it, like, I guess if he had said something like, uh, it would be damaging to an ongoing source or something in some way. But at this point, this was like years after yeah. uh, the the first, like the Abu Ghraib photos uh, were released and he just, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. So, <sighs> yeah. Wild. Well, you well know. on that note, geez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a upper to end this. <coughs> Yeah. I was like, how could this? Yeah, he's definitely going to push this in a in a really light and funny direction. But uh, OK, no, you just, uh, you know, you took us took us down that path. Hey, at so least I you. didn't at least I didn't bring us to like the couple who were selling uh, like glass oh. shards from Charleston. Uh, like oh with God. naming okay, it okay, the okay, Tamir. Yeah. There you did. The okay. Brianna. <laughs> Happy birthday, you motherfucker. <laughs> Thank you. It is my birthday as we're recording. <laughs> Um, do you want to lead us out, B? Yeah. Happy birthday, Arnie. Thank you. Many happy returns to the day. Yeah. I think with that, we'll just go ahead and call it an episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. If you're not a patron, become one at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Mm-hmm. Get those we, bonus episodes. Yep. We do two a week. So if you'd like all the extra death panel you need in your life um, and more, um that was weird there's even more death panel than you're gonna want it's it's just a torrent no um it's exactly as much as you want so yeah if you if you become a patron um you help us continue to be able to do this project and we appreciate it well that's it for today medicare for all now solidarity forever stay alive another week hell yeah take care y'all
Yeah, and I mean, you have like Trump's economic advisor, most recently known for talking about COVID in the past tense at the RNC, uh, Larry Kudrow, who's like giving quotes out. Kudlow, sorry. Uh, Larry Kudlow, who's giving quotes. Lisa Kudrow, who uh, spoke <laughs> at the... <laughs> just kidding. Bad handwriting and I'm blind. It's like a really bad combo. I'll let you retake the um, whole thing if you want. Uh, and we, should I do it from the beginning? Uh, Whatever. Don't, don't <laughs> impugn the good name of Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, um, Phil, do you have any more? I know that you had a lot of like stuff to say about jobs report stuff. Is there anything that we didn't hit that you want to... Uh, get to or should we just like transition onward um, looking at my notes here Rand rule Rand Paul <laughs> no no nothing to say <laughs> um, for the record I also wrote his name wrong in my notes as Kudrow <laughs> Larry Kudrow Larry well. Kudrow if there is a picture I crossed it out and corrected it now if there is a Larry Kudrow listening we're sorry um we did not mean to impugn your good name 